he's also a produced feature screenwriter, and he's worked for a decade as a L.A.-based film critic, a story analyst uh, for major Hollywood studios, and a celebrity interviewer. Tom is originally from New Jersey. He has an MFA from the American Film Institute, and today works as a freelance writer uh, for print and YouTube. And a few years back, uh, Tom turned his humorous brand of skepticism toward the Bible to produce the factual and funny book titled, What Do You Do With a Chocolate Jesus? Uh, that's kind of an irreverent history of Christianity, written as an argument against the growing religious fundamentalism in American law and politics. Uh, Tom, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, it's glad, I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much. Well, you know, um, I think this is uh, such a uh, relevant uh, topic Tom, um, but but I have to ask you first um, about your title of your book. What do you do with a chocolate Jesus? Um, tell me, what does that title right. mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it it actually comes out of an experience that sort of launched my decision to write the book, uh, which was uh, when I was in college. Uh, you know, like a lot of uh, young folks, I was a spiritual seeker and uh, tried everything from Buddhist chanting to transcendental meditation to what have you. And uh, shortly after college, uh, I, I started to concentrate on traditional Christianity because a party buddy mine from Florida uh, actually uh, converted. And it was such a striking difference to see uh, the, the difference in behavior. He was what we used to call a Jesus freak very glassy-eyed with the spirit, and uh, he invited me down to Florida to a Christian revival fair, and there were rides and, you know, people, you know, preaching about how Jesus had saved their marriages or healed their wounds or worn them off liberal congressmen or wherever he did, and among the things they had for sale there were little tchotchkes, uh, including a hand-sized portrait of Jesus made of chocolate, and so I thought... <laughs> What do you do with a chocolate Jesus? Do you work your way up the legs or go right for the halo? Uh, do you 12, share it with 12 friends as the last dessert? Um, is it like the <laughs> Eucharist where it turns into the flesh of Christ when, you, when it hits your lips? And if it does, does that make it okay for a low-carb diet? So they were, dumb, they were dumb questions, but it got me sort of on the trail of, 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 of humorously questioning uh, a lot of fundamentalist uh, Christian ideas. I get it. And I get it. Well, you know, it, it came out of that. Go ahead. Oh, okay. No, well, you know what I came, thought. It all came out of that. Okay. Okay. Well, you know what I thought? And of course, it, it, you know, you obviously explained it. I was thinking it somehow referred to this mistaken idea that I grew up with as a Catholic because we always saw Jesus as blonde haired and blue eyed, uh, whatever picture right. we looked at. And I thought, well, maybe the chocolate Jesus is actually um, the Jesus that has skin color uh, of someone from the Middle East, like he was supposed to come from the Middle East. And, and, and you know, it was kind of like, well, gee, if you've grown up thinking he's blonde-haired and blue eyes, what do you do when you find out his skin color is actually brown? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've heard that alternative uh, uh, idea of, of the, the title. It's not bad, but that wasn't the original reason, uh, although I do agree <laughs> with, the, with the sentiment. 
that uh, he, uh, you know, we, we did grow up with the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. Not a lot of guys like that knocking around first century Palestine, I don't think. And so yeah. I think that, um, you know, uh, it's certainly uh, uh, noteworthy that people interpret it that way. I guess it has a double meaning then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, I, um, I, I'm, I'm disturbed, quite frankly, by uh, what I'm seeing today in the news because I feel like, you know, Christianity is kind of a uh, – and this isn't – God, you know, I know this is going to sound like Christian bashing, and I don't mean to. I mean, I'm a former Catholic, right? I mean, um, I, I call myself a recovering Catholic, and uh, I know a lot of Christians don't even consider Catholics Christians. But, I, I mean, I looked at Catholicism – uh, even though I grew up in it, when I became an adult, I, I feel like I used critical thinking. You know, I saw the, you know, the, all the pedophile priests. Uh, I learned about the doctrine of discovery that the Pope uh, used to, you know, give uh, explorers come into new worlds, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, the license to just land from the heathens, you know, these people who weren't white, who weren't Christian. Um, I, I mean, right. all of the, you know, the, the uh, misogyny, the sexism, the, you know, making women second-class citizens. And I said, hey, wait, you know what? This doesn't sound like Jesus's love to me. Um, and, and I also came to think about, you know, here we have this Jesus on the cross, and I went to Catholic school all my life, you know, and we, we learned that, oh, Jesus died for your sins, and look how he suffered and sacrificed. You want to emulate him. And, I, you know, when I really started thinking, wow, what, what a pitch, because if you teach kids from a young age that you want to suffer and sacrifice like Jesus did, you're grooming them to, to be um, abused. You know, you're grooming them to sort of take whatever, uh, whoever, you know, the, the male that's in power, usually the male authority figure, you're grooming them to just accept misuse and, um, you know, domination and submission, it, it, you know, it, it feels like a strategy, and it's working. <laughs> and I don't know, I just wonder, does any of that resonate with you? Well, yeah, it all, resonate, it all resonates with me. Uh, what we have is a movement, and it's, most, it's not most Christians. Most American Christians are you know the kind that we usually think of uh, my my mother was catholic my father was protestant and you know they're very moderate average you know people they they were not uh, salvation happy and most americans i think see their their most american christians are like that um like an example is most american christians believe that uh, women should have abortion rights but there's a very vocal and activist minority that doesn't think so and they are part of this whole you know, uh, right-wing conservative religious movement. And they are trying basically for minority rule. I think one of the reasons why you're getting these shrill reactions, uh, everything from reversing uh, Roe versus Wade to attempts now to limit contraception and, and other things, is because they're losing the battle in the popular culture. You know, gay marriage is accepted. Uh, people are accepting trans people more often. 
you know, we're, we're in, moving in a social progress in that direction, and they don't like it, and they're losing, and so they have to get in there and do what they, what religions normally do, which is to pass laws that force its uh, edicts down people's throats uh, and expect uh, obedience. You know, religion is not about expressing your personal self. It is about sitting up straight and, you know, polishing your shoes and listening to what the pastor says. So right, I right. definitely think that there is a dangerous movement in this country uh, because people are uninterested in the American idea of separation of church and state. They want to go back to the age-old idea that our religion is right and only just governments are based on our religion, and therefore, um, you know, we get to take our religious beliefs and make them the law of the land because we know God best. Well, and it disturbs me, um, you know, Tom, and um, I wonder if you have an answer for me why this happens. Um, the media, I mean, of course, I don't expect Fox News to say the truth about anything, but when we're talking about MSNBC and until maybe recently uh, CNN, until they went, you know, more right, uh, uh, and I don't know, NPR, uh, you, know, the, you know, the other sort of, um, I think, reasonable news outlets. Why are, I mean, look at the Supreme Court. I mean, we, we are having that religion shoved down our throat. Nobody talks about how um, separation of church and state is being violated. Nobody utters the words that we're having this brand of Christianity shoved down our throat. I mean, you might see it when you read the signs of people who are out there protesting, but it's, it's like the messengers, you know, the news media, they are not calling these people out for who they are. And that feels like a mistake to me. Um, I wonder what you think. And um, uh, I mean, yeah, what do you think about that? I think a lot of reporters are not particularly religious people. This is probably not a shock to anyone. Uh, they tend to be very worldly people. They got to dig out their stories and, you know, they have to do a hard scramble to do their job. And I think that because they're not particularly religious people, they don't fully understand the nature and depth of this uh, particular movement. I think they do, as you say, underestimate it. Uh, they regard it as, oh, well, there's always these, you know, sort of noisy, crazy, ultra-Christians who uh, uh, want to do outrageous things. I think that the, the ruling against abortion has been a bit of a wake-up call. Um, but I think that generally reporters don't know enough about it because whenever they question evangelicals, they never seem to ask the right questions. They, 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 they ask questions where they, they don't seem to get it. And I think they also want to avoid, networks want to avoid, alienating large swaths of the population so they don't want to link bad behavior to a specific religion, um, in partly because not all Christians think the same, obviously, but um, they want to, uh, you know, avoid just alienating, you know, TV networks are in business. They don't want to alienate their audience. And so they, they don't want to do that unnecessarily by blaming religion. And I, I agree with you that I think we do. I think we have to name it as the nature of these particular faiths. You know, people freak out about Sharia law. Well, you also want to freak about fundamentalist Christian law. Right. Yeah, because they're just, a, 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 you know, the Christian version 
uh, you know, in, in so many ways. And, I mean, I, you know, I don't think I heard once that Mike Pence was a dominionist. And, you know, the Dominionists have these seven mountains that they want to conquer, and it's basically those seven mountains are all parts of our uh, society, culture, you know, education, government, the news media, it, um, entertainment field, all of these different things. And they're basically saying they want to, you know, take over all of these areas and uh, enforce their beliefs. Um, you know, that kind of sounds like world domination to me, or at least country domination, if you will. And um, and nobody well, was afraid of him being in the White House. No, no. Well, I, I, they didn't make a thing about the Binionists. They knew he was very pious, which, by the way, the fact that fundamentalists are not lining up behind Mike Pence and they are lining up above, uh, behind Donald Trump tells you something about where our Christian fundamentalists are these days uh, and what they're really about, as opposed to being about pious Christians. Uh, they're, they're much more about their phenomenon that exists in countries all over the world, which is there's always 10 or 15 or 20% of the country that is very nativist, uh, xenophobic, uh, racist, you know, our, our faith, our religion, our tradition is right. And everybody else who's different than that is progressively wrong. And, you know, you would think that they would flock to a guy like Mike Pence who would be their guy. And instead they're, they're flocking to a New York billionaire because he's, he's fueled by the same kind of resentment that they feel. And I think that that's what, what motivates them mostly is, you know, much like um, the Christians in ancient Rome. They, they didn't like the fact that Rome was uninterested in the religion early on. Uh, and they believed that all other governments were evil. And um, the book of Revelation was really written at a time when that was the prevailing thought. And uh, what is it? What's the book of Revelation? It's about a, a big diatribe against the destruction of Rome and the destruction of the world. And everybody's going to be dead except us good Christians. And in fact, at the, head of, at the end of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is a vision of a one world government under God or under Jesus. So the one world government that they often complain about and are fearful of is precisely what they're going after as long as it's their, as long as it's their one world government. And when, right. you, when you told me just, just this moment here about the, the seven mountains they want to climb and taking over key industries, it sounds a lot like that, uh, that forgery that was written 100 years ago called The Protocols of the Wise Men of Zion, which was a conspiracy theory book written to say that Jews were out to take over the world by conquering these particular professions. Now, that was a, it turns out that was a Russian forgery um, pretending to be notes from a Jewish meeting about the, the taking over the world, but it's a very popular and influential forgery. Everybody from Henry Ford to Adolf Hitler believed it, and uh, it fueled a lot of anti-Semitism in the, in the 20th century. And this sounds like the same thing, only they're taking it seriously. They think that this is really a plan to, uh, to run the world. And they are, as you say, there is some success in it. They are achieving minority rule uh, through the Republican Party um, by controlling certain state legislatures and literally taking away constitutional rights. And, and they're not making a secret of it. Well, and, and God, there's so much there I want to unpack. Um, uh, but uh, so let's um, let's let's kind of backtrack a little bit. Uh, you know, our top issue today is abortion rights. Just to set the record straight, what does the Bible say about abortion? 
It says absolutely nothing. Uh, that is one of the incredible things. You would think in a thousand pages of scripture, given how important abortion is in the mind of so many uh, fundamentalists or evangelicals today, you'd think somewhere in there there'd be a clear statement banning the practice. And in fact, there's nothing. Uh, it's never called a sin. It's never called an abomination. Uh, it's never called um, killing. It's never called uh, murder. Uh, it's never called anything bad. And the fact is, it never says that life begins at conception either. And what, they, what the argument you usually get in response is, well, the Bible is pro-life. You know, it's up with life, and they'll give you all kinds of quotes about God saying we should cherish life. And it absolutely is pro-life. Everybody is pro-life. Nobody, you know, that's not a special achievement. Everybody's pro-life. The issue is not whether or not you're pro-life. The issue is what is a human fetus? Is it a human being or is it something less? If you think it's a human being, then terminating it is obviously murder. If it's not a human being, then it isn't. And so the question is, is an egg a chicken? Is an acorn the same as a tree? And by, you know, bring, by bringing this up, um, they try to cast it as if it's a life thing, when in fact people who are uh, in favor of abortion rights are not anti-life. They simply see a fetus differently than people who are, who are uh, in abortion. Right, and at the same time, you know, they're, uh, you know, they talk so much about freedom, but they don't stop and think, well, what are the freedoms um, that may be curtailed for a woman if she's forced to carry the rapist baby to term, you know, um, well, you know, right. epi economically, actually, educationally. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say um, – the only, the only place in the scripture that really brings up, you know, it's all about what is a fetus. And the only place that gives us really insight in the Bible as to what a fetus is supposed to be is one Old Testament law uh, in the book of Exodus, Exodus 21-22. And it says that uh, if two men are fighting, if they're contending, and a pregnant woman is caught up in the fight and is caused to miscarry, that a fine must be paid. But a few passages later, it says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you cause the woman to die, it's the death sentence. So if you, cause, if you cause a mother to die, it's capital punishment. If you cause her fetus to die, it's of a fine, like a parking ticket. Two radically different punishments for what are apparently two radically different crimes because you're killing two radically different things. That is the pro-choice view. And since the rest of Scripture is silent, on how we should view the unborn, you have to say that the Bible is, on balance, pro-choice. Right, right. That's a good point. I, I never heard that before. Thank you. Um, so this idea of freedom, um, you know, when evangelicals are asked, uh, you know, what Christian values in America are based on, a lot of times you'll hear them say, freedom. Um, do, do you think uh, freedom, you know, in light of, you know, what we know about their, their teachings and even abortion, that uh, freedom is a Christian value? No, uh, it's not, certainly not. In, it's freedom to be a fundamentalist Christian is kind of their concept. But it's not free to be anything other than that, it seems. Uh, freedom is not a priority in the Bible or in Christian teaching. That is political freedom, because 
Jesus was not a political philosopher. I like a lot of what Jesus said. I think the world would be better off if we all lived by his teachings. Um, but a lot of the, the evangelicals we're talking about don't seem to be, you know, aware of his teachings. And they seem to have attitudes that are completely at odds with them. Um, freedom is one of those values that is ascribed to Christianity, but it really, Christianity doesn't really deserve much, much um, credit for it, except to the extent that uh, the fight for Christians to have their own faith, uh, you know, worship in the, in the open, that is certainly a fight for freedom. Um, but that's only the, really the, the way freedom becomes a priority. It's not a priority in the Bible. When the Israelites uh, bitched to Moses while they were wandering the Sinai in the 40 years of, uh, in the wilderness, they were gobbled up by the earth or hit with a plague. Uh, when Job complained about his misfortunes to God, he got a tongue lashing that, you know, you could hear from Jerusalem to Alpha Centauri. And uh, while Jesus may have famously said, the truth shall make you free, he was not talking about political freedom, free speech, free press, all that. He was talking about the freedom of the soul from sin, which is something you could have in prison. So, again, he wasn't a political philosopher. He was a religious philosopher. Right. And so, you know, and then, you know, the, the proof of this is that when the philosophy of Christianity became the dominant religion of the Middle Ages in Europe, uh, there was no free press. Um, you couldn't own a Bible in the early days. Uh, there was no free speech. That only meant you could be a heretic. Uh, the pre-thinking was seen as a bad thing. And so the American Revolution was really a reaction to this. The founders established free speech and free press and so forth uh, as a reaction to the oppressiveness of royalty and the church in their joined-at-the-hip censorship of, of free speech. Uh, that's why the First Amendment says no law recognizing an establishment of religion. You know, no law, N-O-L-A-W, no law. And in Scripture, there's no talk about freedom. Uh, there's no freedom to choose your faith, certainly. You know, it's you, you choose highway or it's a, uh, Yahweh or the highway, I should say. Um, you know, it's either that or eternal damnation. That's not really a free choice. Um, and as I said, the, the Christian Middle Ages, there's no talk of individual liberty. It was about obedience uh, to the king and conformity with the church. And um, uh, you certainly weren't free to choose your representatives either. Right, right. Well, you know, so what do you, you know, where do things stand today with, it seems like evangelicals are uh, against separation of church and state. I mean, if they had their druthers, uh, there wouldn't be such a thing, but doesn't that run counter to the founding fathers? Well, yes, it does, and uh, they don't believe in separation of church and state. They, they say, well, you know, other religions can exist, but wink, wink, we really know that the Constitution is based on Christianity, uh, and, and it isn't. You know, it's in, in many ways based on a rejection of traditional Christianity. I can go into detail so, about how that's so. <laughs> well, but 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 well, yeah. It, um, give us the thumbnail version, and um, and and maybe in there, uh, part of the explanation would will be: is democracy a Christian value? Oh, sure. Well, uh, democracy owes nothing to the Bible, because democracy was invented by the ancient Greeks back in ancient Athens around the fourth century BC, and was up and put into practice for about 140 years. All 
400 years before Jesus was born, all before the Bible was written. So the people who created democracy wouldn't know Yahweh from a potato knish. And what it proves is that you don't have to link church and state because they believed in the gods of Mount Olympus. When America's founders came along and borrowed the democracy idea, they didn't feel compelled to borrow the gods of Mount Olympus. You didn't have to incorporate them as well. Uh, they stuck with their own religion, but they, uh, you know, borrowed the democracy idea. Uh, democracy is a secular value, not a religious one, which is one reason why it travels so well. You know, it works in uh, Hindu India, uh, Shinto Japan, Catholic Italy, Protestant England, polyglot America. Uh, it uh, works in all these different uh, countries and societies because it is a secular value. And it owes nothing uh, to uh, Christianity. During the Middle Ages, as I said, there was no talk of democracy. And it wasn't until the world got more secularized in the modern world that democracy was revived. And that's because democracy is a form of government that is for a different kind of human being than Christians imagine man to be. The biblical religion says man was born in sin, and therefore he tends towards evil. And therefore you need a strong church and a strong state to keep all these sinning people on the moral straight and narrow. And that's the kind of government it, it requires. Democracy has a different theory of man, meaning men and women, uh, and that man is actually the rational animal. His, the glory of his nature is not faith, but reason. And reason demands freedom, freedom to ask questions, gather information, discuss things, uh, come to any conclusions that you want. And that freedom is the basis of the American system. And uh, it didn't come from a, tradi a, a Christian tradition. So, so where does that leave us today with, um, you know, the, the, you know, the uh, Christian nationalists, the, you know, this, um, it feels like a march toward authoritarianism. I mean, so are you saying that, you know, that, that Christianity, at least in the fundamentalist sense, not the liberal Christians, that um, it is more of an authoritarian um, type of religion. So is there any wonder that uh, they're comfortable with the idea of maybe the loss of democracy that we see threatening us in the future? Yeah, well, I, I agree that that's, uh, it makes it more comfortable for them to live in that kind of system. Also, the fact that democracy is not on their side. You know, if you, if you ask the majority of Americans to vote on all the issues that they're concerned about, they lose in almost every case. And, so they're, and they're not interested in what the majority says. So if it requires forcing the majority to conform to the minority, then that's what they're going to do because they are, uh, you know, warriors for righteousness. And so what they do is, is presumably correct. But, you know, they, uh, they're not interested in democratic rule because democratic rule does not empower their point of view. And, and so, you know, we talked a little bit, uh, I mean, I've heard you say before that um, it's, you know, the whole basis of Christianity to a certain extent is like conspiracy theory. That, that was kind of an interesting take. Um, can, can you elaborate on that a little bit? 
Well, yeah, the nature of conspiracy theories, and that, that is the, the theories about fictional conspiracies, uh, is, is basically what's called the paranoid style. And it's something that's been around for about a thousand years in the Western world. And it's basically the idea that there's some secret society out there to get you. Uh, that history is not made, you know, it's, it's, it's not a random series of events and clashing forces and all this sort of thing. That there is, in fact, a grand plan that is unfolding and that there are secret forces at work pulling the strings and making it all happen. And this is the view that fundamentalist Christianity takes. More liberal Christians think, ah, you know, we're kind of making it up as we go along. And if we just stick with the, the principles of decency and honesty uh, that Jesus taught us that, uh, you know, get through life without being a complete crap weasel, you'll uh, earn a place in heaven. Uh, whereas uh, the, the fundamentalists, um, you know, are much more strict about it and don't want to have room for individual liberty. And so uh, they, they concoct conspiracy theories because that's what they're used to doing. They live in a universe where the devil is constantly out there, and they can basically assign the devil to anybody they want, any group, any political party, any country, any, anything that they don't like. Well, they, they suddenly becomes an instrument of Satan, and therefore fighting that group is not just fighting a group they disagree with. It's, it's part of the, the holy cause uh, to bring about God's kingdom. And so democracy doesn't really play a role, which is why, again, when – when the fundamentalist kind of Christianity uh, dominated the Western world during the Middle Ages, there was no talk of democracy or voting or anything else. Um, they were not interested in, in your opinion. Well, and, and I mean, and, and you're, you're kind of talking big picture, but if we even bring that attitude into people's individual homes, um, you know, you look at um, how – uh, you know, it, it's the pyramid structure, God at the top, men who, uh, who speak for God, supposedly, and everybody else and everything below them, whether it be the planet or the species on the planet or women, uh, they are there to serve man and God with man as the authority, everybody else in service to or in submission to. And, um, you know, it, it Feels, well, I mean, that's a perfect recipe for patriarchy, obviously. I mean, I feel like patriarchy and this authoritarianism go hand in hand, and it's not just big picture. It's in everybody's individual homes. So you grow your family in, an, in this, you know, the, men, the man of the house grows the family in this authoritarian environment where the wife submits, the children submit, he's, uh, the father is the ultimate authority. And I don't know, it feels like you are grooming predators and prey. Um, you know, it, maybe that sounds like well, hyperbole, but I don't think it is. I don't quite understand the women who are ardent, uh, you know, advocates of, of this brand of Christianity. Um, do they, they resent women who have jobs or they resent women who uh, seek positions of power? I, I don't know. They, they, a lot of them have positions of power themselves to try and impose these ideas. Um, but I just don't think that uh, they're interested in democratic rule. And I think that a lot of times... What, what, what's happened is we've inherited a lot of the, the male-dominated attitudes uh, from, you know, what started out as a Bronze Age religion. 
And so that structure uh, has been, you know, kept intact, and supposedly the modern world is uh, a deviation from that. Um, and so it is a hierarchical religion. I, I do have to say a lot of religions, not just Christianity, are hierarchical, and they are all dominated by men. Uh, that's just been the case since the dawn of time, sadly, and as, as with government. And so, you know, Christianity is not uniquely um, – off base uh, with that, unfortunately. That's a that's something common to all faiths. And I have to say yeah. also that it's usually the conservative version of a faith that is the one most oppressive to women. You know, there are people who are Islamic who believe that women ought to have the right to do and say whatever they want, uh, as in the Western world. Um, but there are a lot of people who think that is completely inappropriate for women. And um, it's the conservative side like in Iran and places like that, that oppress women. And that's the same true with Christianity here. Uh, whatever the religion, it's the more reactionary version of that religion that tends to uh, clamp down on women the hardest. I think in part because yeah. the, the liberation of women and the equality of women is such a new development uh, on a historical scale that, um, you know, they're just, they're not ready for the new. They're certainly not ready for, you know, uh, homosexuality or any of the other social innovations or democracy or free speech or any of the other modern things that we tend to embrace. Um, you know, when they're talking about traditionalism, they're talking about, you know, they're not talking about down home in the fifties. They're talking about the 14th century. Yeah. And, and, you know, when they're, they're really talking about people suppressing people's will voice, uh, their, you know, the, you know who they might authentically be. I mean, um, I highly recommend the documentary out there right now called "Shiny Happy People." It's about the um, the fundamentalist group that Josh Duggar was in, uh, that was on reality TV. You know, uh, the right. mother I think birthed 19 children, and I've interviewed the women who escaped from that church, and those women are mm-hmm. told. Um, your role in society is to have babies and uh, you know they've told me that you know because sex is a sin and it's all about shame uh, you know uh, sex can't be a thing of pleasure so the women are basically raped by their husbands because uh, they don't know the men don't know any better the women don't know any better they have to endure I mean they were even showing how to break people's will early uh, they have something called blanket training where they'll put a six-month-old baby on a blanket and put a toy that it likes within reach and every time the baby reaches for the toy they get slapped until the baby stops reaching and you know and there's corporal punishment for children when they cry children as old as uh, you you know like we're talking about 12 month old children you know Um, I I mean it's it's insidious I mean it's really insidious so you raise these women who don't know how to say no. In fact, there was a woman on the documentary who said she went to a church conference and the men and women were segregated into their own dormitories, but some of the men made it into the women's dorm and were, um, you know, tried to get into their rooms and were crawling into their beds to molest them, rape them, whatever, and they didn't even have the words for resistance. Because for their entire life, resistance was not 
um, you know, something that they learned how to even muster up, you know, um, that, that disturbed me. Well, all this is, you know? I think, I think, I think all of this though is, is sort of like a, a deep perversion of it all. I don't, I don't blame uh, Christianity per se, or, or certainly not the teachings of Jesus per se. Uh, these are cultists. Uh, these are fascists, and they use religion as the basis of their fascism. Uh, they're not the first to do this. Uh, there is a one way that you're supposed to live. It's my way. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're like the Amish or the Mennonites in a way, and they believe in a very traditional um, rejection of modern life. But unlike the Amish and the Mennonites who live the way they want and live and let live and, and uh, coexist peacefully with everybody else, uh, these folks are not interested in just being free to live by their medieval way of life. They want you to live by their medieval way of life. And if you turn them down, then they're going to pass laws to force you to live by their medieval way of life. And this is not only unchristian, but it's un-American. Right, right. Um, Tom, we need to take a, a quick break here uh, because I have a word from uh, Joe Corson uh, that I need to share with listeners. But when we come back, I want to ask you, um, uh, you know, kind of a big question. Is Christianity solution to America's problems? Uh, but first, uh, a word from Joe Corson. Okay. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a Gardnerian high priest of the Whitecroft line a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. And while I have your attention, I just want to remind listeners of my new book that's out called Normalizing Abuse. And uh, you can find out more about it on Amazon or at my website, karentate.net. Um, and, you know, it asks the question, do you make excuses and rationalize abuse because it's so familiar that you discount it as being normal? And I tackle a lot of different areas where uh, we're actually enduring abuse and exploitation, and uh, we think it's just the way it is rather than calling it out. So, Tom, um, uh, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear your version. Um, is Christianity the solution to America's problems today? 
Well, uh, I kind of addressed this in the last chapter of my book, uh, which I, to plug it again is "What Do You Do with the Char- with the Chocolate Jesus," and uh, which you can get on Amazon and Kindle and Audible uh, as an audio book, by the way. Um, and as far as is Christianity the solution to America's problems? I, as I said, the world would be better off if we all lived by Jesus' teachings. But Jesus' teachings are voluntary, not mandatory. They're not forced upon you from above. Um, and really, if, you know, it, 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 didn't change, it didn't save ancient Rome. Rome was an empire that was declining in its last couple centuries, and that was the time when it became officially Christian. Uh, and it became the world's first civil theocratic state. Uh, in in terms of um, Western religion, and that did not save Rome from ultimately disillusioning, uh, disillusioning, uh, breaking apart and dissolving uh, into the medieval kingdoms. I think as far as today, if you worry about American culture becoming more secular or more diverse, uh, having foreign ideas or a variety of beliefs, uh, then Christianity is the solution. Uh, if you worry about American having a threat to democracy or a threat to diversity or a threat to the rule of law, uh, then I think there are certain branches of Christianity that are very much the part of the problem. Uh, I think our constitution is one that uh, is compatible with all religions if they're practiced the way they should be, which is in the life and in the mind and in the hearts of, of the believer community. Uh, I think all religions are incompatible with the constitution if they are forced upon people against their will. So, um, well, you know, and I I guess I wonder, uh, you know, with a quarter of the world uh, being Christian, why do you think um, it's it's the most popular religion in in the world right now? Uh, If it's one like some of the others, you know, uh, for you know, forcing themselves on people. Right. Well, I, a lot of it, a lot of it spread just because it's an appealing religion. I think it's actually up to about a third of the world now, uh, and uh, I think it's popular partially because I think they always have the best metaphors. You know, they have the happiest promises: you rise from death, uh, a man sacrificed himself for us out of love. Uh, these ideas, uh, you know, we, we share the, his blood, and, and we are one with him in body. All of these ideas are appealing ideas, the idea that you can rise from death and live in eternal happiness, and all you have to do is listen to Jesus and be nice to everybody. That's not a tough idea to sell. Uh, They basically took the all-powerful God of the Hebrews and made him into a kind of a friendly older brother, you know, and so you can have a personal relationship with God. In the Jewish faith, God is a more distant entity, uh, you know, incorporeal, doesn't have a particular look or, or, or feel. With Jesus, he's, uh, you know, your, your older best friend. He's always there uh, and has your back. I also think that Christianity benefited from the Enlightenment uh, in that the Enlightenment, which was a rejection of traditional religion-dominated government and a more reason-based, um, ration, reason, um, rational scientific secular uh, society that we have today, I think it put the, the, the Enlightenment basically put Christianity in perspective. It made religion as a choice rather than an all-controlling entity, like in Islamic countries. And it made it an option and a personal choice, which is also very appealing. And that way it inherited Enlightenment ideas like democracy 
and free speech, individual liberty, human rights, tolerance. None of those ideas come from, uh, you know, traditional Christianity. Uh, these are ideas that came from the Enlightenment. Christianity signed on and so carried them forth. And so it's identified more with those values than it traditionally was. And it's identified more with those values than other religions because those are not, the other religions are not part of the West. So, well, you know, you mentioned Jesus. I mean, you know, growing up Catholic, you know, Jesus was all about love. And I, I, I don't see, um, you know, the brand of Christianity we've been talking about today being about love at all. It feels like it's more about oppression and control and domination. What happened to Jesus' love? And, you know, and, and isn't prosperity gospels just merging Christianity with capitalism? Well, yes, it is. Well, you know, it turns out there's Jesus and then there's Jesus. Uh, there's the Jesus of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, which, uh, you know, say, you know, you should love your fellow man as you love yourself and uh, so forth. It's the, sort of the benevolent vision of Jesus. Uh, and then there's the later Jesus of the cross, which becomes sort of a, a battle standard uh, and literally became, uh, you know, a battle standard on uh, shields in the Middle Ages and so forth. And, that became sort of the icon of imperial religion. And basically it's, it's part of a long, sad tradition of people having a set of ideas about how things ought to be run and then recruiting Jesus into their mentality to justify what they're doing. So it's like, well, it's not just my opinion of how things ought to be run. It's God's opinion. And so they, they have Jesus buying into, you know, the conservatives have him turned him into a laissez-faire investment banker. Uh, who rewards people with, with high stock values. And, you know, when in fact Jesus was the man who said he should reject the cult of money and uh, it's better to give than to receive and the love of money is the root of all evil and so forth. Um, but they can mangle him into whatever it is they want him to say and that way he becomes this uh, sort of shield that you can't argue against. Whatever their little petty biases or beliefs uh, now becomes the will of God. And so they use yeah. it in that way. Yeah, and if you say God deems it, even if it's just man-made dogma for an agenda, how do you fight that? You know, if uh, if God if if God demands it, when you know it it might be the antithesis of Jesus or God, but um, you know you're hearing it from the pulpit, and by God, you know it must be true. Well, I think that I think that the the pushback on this needs to be more about a basic desire for freedom. I think one of the re problems with pushing back on the abortion issue, for instance, for instance, is too many say, "Well, if you if if you don't have abortion rights, then women are going to be suffering here, and and uh, these are, are the bad social effects, all of which are completely relevant." But I'd like to go to the basic principle, which is this is a basic attack on individual liberty, which is the cornerstone of our republic. Our government is designed first and foremost to defend each individual's right and freedom to live the way they want and to believe the way they want. And when it comes to what is a fetus, that is a personal philosophical decision that, that should not be imposed upon somebody against their will. That becomes like the communists, where there's one point of view, everybody has to have it, and it's going to be forced upon you whether you believe in it or not. 
And that's what justifies it was the fact that it's part of a grander plan. And what we have to say is that this is a medieval attack on modern freedom. Yeah. And to, well, remind and, you people, make me think- to remind people that the era was, to remind people that in, in the Christian era, when the, the religion did dominate, that there was no mandate for individual freedom, free speech, free press, freedom of uh, electing your officials or anything else. You know, Republicans get up there or others get up there and, and claim that America was the first country based on Christian values. In fact, all the governments of the Middle Ages were officially based on Christian values and provided no individual liberty at all. The United States formally separated itself from Christianity and from all religions, and that became the cornerstone of our modern ideas of freedom. Yeah, but they'd like, they'd like us to forget that and, uh, and basically rewrite history. Um, it, yeah. Well, and, and, well, more, yeah. well, you're making... Well, well, you know, you're making me think about uh, gun rights. You know, a lot of conservative Christians are pro-gun. How does gun ownership square with traditional Christian values? Uh, not too well. I mean, uh, if you if you look at what Jesus had to say about, you know, force and weapons or whatever, he said like, uh, you know, all that take up the sword will perish by the sword. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Do not resist one who is evil. Uh, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him also the left. Judge not that you shall not be judged. It's hard to square that with the mandate of the NRA. You yeah. don't use force for any reason whatsoever. You don't even use it for self-defense. I mean, you know, imagine if the day they came to arrest Jesus, he was packing heat. You know, and <laughs> go, go ahead, make it, go ahead, make it my day. Uh, right. The, the story would have been very different. And uh, the fact yeah. is that there's no justification for using violence for any reason, not even to save your own life. Jesus yeah. acted out that Jesus himself acted on that principle. Yeah. Well, and I think we talked about this before the show. Um, I don't think we were on the air yet. Um, and uh, and I think it would be interesting to hear you share with listeners. Um, why do you think evangelicals, when they have a choice like Pence, who is an evangelical dominionist, by the way, uh, and yeah. you know the news media hasn't picked up on that to warn us. Uh, but why do they choose Trump, who uh, you know used to be a liberal uh, or at least a Democrat? Uh, you know, it, and we know he's done all of these, you know, con man, blah blah blah. Um, how can they, in their mind, um, justify Trump over Pence? They put Trump over everybody because, first of all, he's much more entertaining than any other Republican who's running for office. I mean, he's, 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 a, he's a stand-up comic uh, of right-wing politics, and there's not too many of those around. So he's fun to go to a rally and rally about. And as I said before, I think it's because he hates the same people that they hate. He resents the same people that they resent. Uh, they resent a lot of modern you know, coastal culture, you know, life in the fast lane, city life, which, by the way, is something that goes through the whole Bible. Ever since, you know, Abraham, cities are always the, the centers of evil and sin. And it's, uh, you know, God was always found out in the country or out in the desert. And so this is, uh, you know, people in more rural places, you know, find more comfort with that conservative view of Christianity. And I think they flocked to Donald Trump simply because 
he unapologetically voices the things that uh, the, the the same resentments that they have against New York, against L.A., against Hollywood, against uh, you know uh, gay people or modern life or big government or whatever. Although Trump is a big government guy, and they are becoming big government guys, they believe in theocracy, and uh, I think that's why. I think they just dislike the same people. And Trump is the first one who puts it out there forcefully, and they're just willing to forget all the rest, uh, which I think demonstrates my principle, which is that they're hypocrites. They decide what they want to believe, and then they use Jesus as the excuse for believing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Tom, we're, we're you know getting toward the end here. In fact, we're a little bit over, but that's okay. Um, what, um, what haven't I thought to ask you that you think is important about this subject for listeners to hear? Oh, I think we've covered it pretty well, I guess. I mean, I do believe that there are advantages that we have to recognize to being deeply religious. Uh, statistically, people live longer. They're supposedly happier. Uh, they have a greater sense of a, a just universe, uh, and they, um, you know, and they bond as a community. So there are advantages to, to being religious, and I never try to talk somebody out of their faith. What I do in, in the book, uh, What Do You Do with the Chocolate Jesus?, is to try to underline, okay, if you're going to start passing laws in the name of this faith, then we need to take a good look at this faith. If you're going to start passing laws based on this book, we need to take a close look on the book. And that's why I take people through the whole history of Christianity and chapter and verse through to kind of examine what it actually says versus what people claim it says and to, you know, make that important difference and also to underline the fact that we live in a country that's not in the business of enforcing biblical law. The founders were Christians who came up with the Constitution, but Albert Einstein Albert Einstein came up with E equals MC squared. doesn't mean that's a Jewish formula. It's not the product of Jewish thought. It's the product of scientific thought. And the Constitution is not the product of Christian thought. It's the product of Enlightenment thought. And I think we need to learn more about the Enlightenment, which is something a lot of people don't study in school. Yeah. Well, and, and forgive me, I do, you just made me think of another, I think, important question. Have you um, uh, determined in your mind why so many seem anti-science as well? I mean, even when we were, uh, you know, millions were dying of COVID, um, you know, it, 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 they have a problem following the science. Well, yeah, science has uh, always been a little bit antagonistic uh, towards religion, going back to Galileo and even before. Uh, and the fact is that whatever they've decided they want to believe, they're not going to let facts and reason and proof get in the way. Remember, the, the, the whole basis of their, their religion is faith, and faith is belief in the absence of evidence. Faith is what you ask of somebody when you don't have the goods to prove your point. And so they're not... You know, facts are not relevant. And when you can concoct an understanding of the universe that is disconnected to provable facts, it's a small step to say, well, you know, science says evolution is real. Nah, don't believe it. Science says, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a 20-week-old fetus is uh, not a human being. Nah, I don't believe it. It's easy to reject science just because anything that doesn't square with the faith is going to uh, be discarded. Thomas Aquinas yeah. changed that around, by the way. Thomas Aquinas 
switch things from the faith comes first school of thought to the reason comes first school of thought, because he thought that if you were rational and scientific, you could prove the existence of God and the authority of the church. Didn't really work out that way, but that's what he thought. And he's the one who really switched us away from the medieval concept of faith over all things to reason. And once reason became the dominant thought way, then you could revive all that ancient Greek knowledge and Roman knowledge and science and so forth and adhere to what reason tells you uh, while still carrying faith in your heart. And unfortunately, there's some people who are not interested in just leaving it there. They want to impose it uh, on the entire social order. Yeah, I mean, I, when I realized, you know, they're even against, you know, carbon dating, um, I mean, uh, it, it, it's, yeah. it, I don't know, it, it just feels all crazy, you know, feels crazy to me. And um, do you have um, any advice on someone who really cares um, you know, that they're not putting these sorts of people in office to make laws for our country. How do you, is there a way to find out, um, you know, are they a dominionist? Are they um, a fundamentalist? Um, you know, is, is, that, is that trapped somewhere? I, I mean, is, uh, do you have any idea? I don't know that it's tracked somewhere, but I, I don't think you have to necessarily focus it just on the Dominionists. That's, that's one group. Uh, you have the family on C Street in Washington, D.C., which is another right-wing Christian cult. Uh, so there's, there's a number of them out there. Uh, and I think you have to sort of put them in the, in the same bucket, which are basically medieval theists uh, or, or Christian fascists, uh, people who are fervent in their belief in the religion, whatever warped version they may they believe in, but they're not interested in each person making their own decision. They know best. They're going to impose it on you because this is the proper order of the world. And modernism is not of interest to them. We have to remember that throughout history, uh, you know, secular, rationalist, popular governments are a rarity. You know, what we've done here in the West in the modern world we are islands in a sea of mysticism and medievalism and religious mythology and so forth. Uh, we're the rarity in history. And so it's constantly a, a pushback uh, status that we have against the natural human instinct to follow strong leaders and believe what they tell us. And, you know, if we just, if we just blindly follow, uh, they'll protect us and all will be orderly as, as God wants. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the reason that some women buy into it even though they're uh oppressed is because they're 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 told, "Oh, you know, don't worry your pretty little head about any of this stuff. Just go have babies and uh we're going to take care of you." Uh but you know, that's I think that's the deal with the devil. <laughs> yeah. Uh but I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um okay, I agree. Well, Tom, I agree. Thank it's uh it, no, go ahead. Finish. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say I agree with you about it. Uh, I, I, it, it's a strange uh, mentality that uh, you know women would advocate this um, sort of secondary role for themselves. But uh, I think also it's, it's a lot of the same thing. They, they, they are, they, they watch news that paints a landscape. My, my bottom line in all this is Fox News is the problem, because what you have. Yeah is a network that paints an entire world landscape that conforms to this paranoid, medieval, uh, Christian dominionist kind of view, that there is a grand conspiracy out there, 
Some say it's, you know, uh, uh, satanic forces. Some say it's just liberals. Some say there's no difference between the two and uh, that they're all out there trying to, uh, you know, subvert the will of man and, uh, you know, have global pedophile rings and eat babies and, you know, just any incredible stuff that, that stoners in the middle of the night can think of to horrify Christians. Uh, you know, they've, they've got it on the list there of things that are actually happening in the world. And um, it's, it's when, when you watch a news network that is unhinged from reality, you get used to that and you get used to a, a view of the world that doesn't operate by the, the real rules because you have no reference points. You, you don't know that world. You know a fictional world. Well, yeah, and I think about, you know, how uh, I, I still wonder. I, I mean, look, I, I uh, value – um, you know, freedom of speech, but, you know, you can't yell fire in a crowded room. And how Fox right. and shows like Fox can get away with continually uh, perpetuating lies that, you know, led to January 6th that helped Trump, you know, perpetuate the big lie that's actually destroying democracy, you know, that's that's duping people. I mean, I have friends that think, gee, well, the left is as bad as the right. <clears throat> and, I, and I say, well, what news are you watching? Because it's the right that's trying to take everybody's freedoms away, you know, not, not the left. And, you know, uh, it, but, right. it, but it, it, you know, it fear is at the heart of all of it. And, um, and I don't know, I guess I wonder, did the Murdochs or, you know, and Ailes and all of these people go into this wanting to take down the country and they thought they could slowly do it from within like you know is 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 scary and i feel like you know maybe they're succeeding to a certain extent um you know it's i don't know it almost that feels like a conspiracy to me but then i think somewhere at the heart of it is it's it's got to be about the money you know, it's it's got to be about the money, but um, I don't know. It's it's just this confusing mishmash, uh, you know, in my mind that you know, did this happen by accident? Was this the plan from the beginning? And how can they allow to be continue to do this because they're they're enemies of the state? You know, um, yes. I don't know. Well, have, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, they've created a Frankenstein. I think initially, Ailes and, and all them. Basically, they just wanted a, a right-wing network that, that told the news the way they saw fit, you know, and, and not all the, this liberal press stuff. And so they would, they would uh, see it from a, a very right-wing point of view. And they started there uh, deliberately, you know, angling the news in a very conservative direction. And I think they just got caught in a right-wing ratchet. You know, the more right-wing and extreme they got, the more popular they got because the more angry people would be watching and, uh, you know, they're, they're now in a mode where they're in a constant mode of freaking people out over the latest liberal atrocity. And one of the things that they, they've succeeded in doing, I think, is equating, uh, you know, it, it, when people say, well, liberals, conservatives are all the same, those people are part of the problem. Uh, yeah. Most of the complaints against the liberals are faux threats. Oh, they want to take away all our guns. Oh, they want to censor us and not let us have free speech. Oh, they want to open the border and let all the hordes in. Um, none of those things are factually true, but every time a Republican opens his mouth, he'll say those things. Whereas things like taking away the right to an abortion or contraception, those are things that the left complains about the right. Those are real things. Those are things that are actually doing. 
So the fears from about the right are genuine things that are really happening. The fears in the, from, mostly from the left are contrived things uh, that um, yeah. they take and they, they run off the end of the earth and exaggerate it. Yeah, 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 I, I, I totally agree. And everything comes down to fear. You know, I think fear is at the heart of everything. Fear is at the heart of all the hate. Um, and, you know, when they get a daily dose of it, I mean, I know my husband accidentally got on, uh, you know, he, he was he was looking at when during COVID he was looking at purchasing uh, food, uh, you know, to to have in the event, you know, if uh, things broke down and blah blah blah. And so suddenly right. now he's on all of these right wing emails, and this I, I, I'm just amazed by the stuff he gets every day. Um, you know, it, it, it's like it's this whole culture. Um, you know, they're building a whole the culture on fear. Yeah, yeah. Well, and but yeah. but the emails he gets are beyond that even. You know, um, I mean the the stuff that they say Biden's going to do or liberals are going to do or um, I, I mean it's just it's just crazy. And most of the time it's you know they're trying to sell um, ignorant, uh, fearful, uneducated people something they're selling. You know, they're making money off yeah. of it. You know, it's it's become yeah, a commodity. Yeah, well, that's, that's, uh, Trump's yeah. That's Trump's face, yeah. and uh, he—it it is all about the money with Murdoch and them. It's, it's ultimately all about about the money, and there's lots of money in freaking people out over uh, the left, you know. And and a lot of people are not really discerning. I, I have some friends, uh, you know, neighbors here. They're very Christian, uh, and they're they're true believers and and a little bit evangelical. They're not you know fascists or anything like that, but they kind of roll with it because they just feel well you know it's just all Christian, so therefore ultimately it's going to be okay. And I, I think a lot of people, even within the movement, who are Christians, don't take these particular activist groups seriously, uh, or when they do succeed in doing something like banning abortion, it doesn't freak them out because it's like well yeah of course you know that's a, a Christian value so you know. What's the heck? What's what's the problem? It's not a Christian value, yeah. but uh, you know they're convinced that it is. Yeah. Well, uh, Tom, thank you for your book because you know education, education, education. While the right wants to ban books, right? I mean, what side is banning the books and what <laughs> side isn't banning the books, right? I mean, there's a good, uh, uh, you know, there, there's a good red flag for you right there. Who wants to keep you ignorant and who wants you to expand yeah, your well, mind? I'm glad uh, to see that there's traditions that are still alive and well. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, Tom, for for the uh, conversation today. Also, um, you know, thank you for your book, What Do You Do uh, With a Chocolate Jesus? And um, and as you said, you can find the book um, all the usual places. Uh, yeah, on Amazon. And uh, Amazon.com is the easiest place. And there you can either get uh, the paperback or the Kindle or an audio book. And I saw here that you did a humorous talk uh, entitled God Needs Therapy. Is that on YouTube somewhere that uh, listeners might be able to go and hear, or was that just in, you know, in-person sort of a thing? Uh, let's see. I believe I have it posted on my website, uh, which is trquinn.com. Uh, it's my professional site for my producing work. But uh, towards the end of it, uh, I have uh, 
a number of recordings, uh, taken uh, excerpts from my book, and I think I may have the Abraham, a little clip there, telling a story uh, uh, from that uh, God Needs Therapy lecture. It's basically what I do is I walk through the Old Testament and psychoanalyze God, showing what insights we have into his personality with each chapter of the Old Testament. And it's kind of half stand-up comedy routine, half history lecture. Gotcha. Okay. I'm going to go look for it. I think it, I think it would be fun and informative, which uh, is what I think you've done today and with your book. Um, so thank you so much, Tom. And, um, you know, uh, I, I hope there's a lot, of, uh, a lot more Emmys, Emmys in your future. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Karen. I really appreciate it. And uh, let, let's say um, with a slight tongue-in-cheek, keep the face. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. Uh, well, I hope you enjoyed that. I know we went over a little bit, but I think it was worthwhile. Um, you know, I no doubt so much of what we said you've been thinking, and uh, uh, now it's just not in your head. Uh, you know, other people are talking about it, too. And um, if uh, you tune in with me next Wednesday, my guest is Zarasanya um, <clears throat> Moon, and our topic is Dancing with Deity, a conversation about heart-led magic. Uh, and uh, that about does it for me uh, for today. I uh, just want to remind you, please do uh, go to my website, karentate.net. Um, if you've been a believer in my work and a supporter uh, of the podcast, of my books, of my articles, uh, you know, classes that I teach, that sort of thing, uh, you can actually scroll down to the bottom of my homepage and you can buy me a cup of coffee. And that actually helps me uh, continue doing what I do because uh, things like this show um, you know, this is not something that I make any money off of. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, this is a service to the community. Uh, this is not about uh, monetary gain. And uh, it does help to have um, uh, monetary support from the community uh, in order to, um, you know, keep, uh, keep putting my energy into this rather than, uh, you know, something else that, uh, you know, might be more lucrative. So um, with that, I will close the show uh, with my usual closing um, segment, the lion-headed Egyptian goddess. We pay homage to her uh, because she is about strength, courage, tenacity, um, having healthy boundaries, and teaching especially women to say no, no, hell no, I'm not going to take it anymore without guilt. All right, see you next week, folks. Bye.
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.